welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast, and this is another quarantine edition. So we got uh, all of us on um, on a video chat recording this, and we've got a special. First of all, joining me as always is Fredo and Dave. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Yeah, there you go. And we have a special guest, somebody we talked about actually on the podcast before. We keep saying we, we're going to get him in to talk about um, the rise of Skywalker. Um, but that's not tonight. But we got Scott Colesby joining us. So, Hello. And uh, so we got Uptown, Mid-City, uh, Metairie, and Gentilly all all taken care of. So and all points in between. Um, so big news. Uh, there's really no Star Wars news, you know, um, coming. But uh, it's a good thing we're recording this right now because we got now a tropical storm coming. So what else, what else can... Uh, 2020 throw us and by the way how do we pronounce this i've heard Cristobal. is that serious or are you just making that up no no it's the name of the storm it's crystal uh tropical storm cristobal well i know but how do you because oh how do you pronounce it because i've heard several different pronunciations of this like any other thing from like crystal ball i keep thinking the stick (laughs) song you know um it's people you watch the news people are pronouncing it eight different ways oh my gosh i didn't it didn't even dawn on me to just said crystal, crystal ball, ball. Oh. No, no. Yeah. No. it's like okay think christopher but instead of the fur at the end just say ball b-a-l but you know don't don't lean into the l too much Cristobal. i don't know why it just makes me think of the oregon head coach mario cristobal perfect that's it Right, I'm I'm thinking the stick song. So I think when it's raining ten inches this weekend, I'm just gonna come up with alternate lyrics. So, I mean, that's really the big the big thing is like when is the deluge of rain coming so I know when to move my car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No so um, anyway, yeah. So that's like I said, it's funny. I told a friend of mine in Nebraska. I said, yeah, Brittany's out getting you know tropical storm supplies and he's like what i was like yeah it's you know locusts plague storms <laughs> riot, super volcano you know <laughs> so i really forgot murder beast for a while oh that's right murder hornets yep uh we got isn't there also a, an asteroid that's gonna pass really close to us yeah i think that's tonight <laughs> oh awesome so <laughs> So this might be the last episode of the Houdat Jedi podcast. Glad you could join us for such an auspicious occasion. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot happening in Star Wars land. Um, but but tonight, what we're going to be doing? I've had I've completed my homework. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, um, one of the first podcasts we talked about, um, and just McClunky this. McClunky. Aaron hasn't seen. There's several, you know, movies that Aaron has. Every time something comes up, like Aaron hasn't seen Goonies, and I get yelled at by everybody around me because I haven't. Um, but uh, the Marvel movies were ones that I just never um, really. I had nothing against them. I just was never driven to go see them. Um, and so Dave and Fredo made a list of uh, the the list of movies that I needed to see. And so Brittany and I during this whole quarantine have been just watching marvel movie after marvel movie and uh tonight we're going to be discussing go we're going to go around the horn because first of all obviously dave and fredo had seen him and scott is a big mcu fan that's why we brought him in um because we wanted more people to yell at me when i asked dumb questions so um for entertainment you know but uh 
Anyway, uh, but we will start off as normal with our Star Wars trivia. Um, so I will grab cards. And I don't cheat when I give myself the question, Scott, so not to worry. Um, so let's start with uh, Fredo. Um, what's your favorite color, Fredo? Blue. No, uh, red. <laughs> <laughs> Come well on, played. Uh, well played. All right. This is the right audience for that joke. You know, actually, one of my one of my Facebook uh, memories today was I took the time to post. I said, "Have you guys ever heard of the Monty Python Holy Grail Ale?" Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 I actually bought a six pack of that like probably seven years ago and. Uh, so it was like it was a really cool bottle, but it was very disappointing as a beer. So anyway, all right. So uh, red then. All right, who strikes the first blow during the lightsaber duel in Cloud City? That would be Luke Skywalker. That would be Luke Skywalker. Fredo gets a gold star for the day. All right. Yay! There were only two blows struck, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's a 50-50 shot there. <laughs> well, no, but I just, you know, it's either who swings first, Luke swings first or Vader swings first. And I think we all know it was Luke going first. So, Well, and of course, it was the, I guess, yeah, who swung first, that's one thing, but it's who hit first. Yeah, it was who hit Vader first. Fuller. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So, Scott, on to you. Um, all right. Here we go. It's a prequel trilogy one. Uh, what planet does General Grievous recommend to the Separatist Council as a safe haven? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> that That is my least watched, I think, of the prequels. That is a question we can't ask you. That. Okay, so so it's which, so is it your least favorite, episode three? Not, not my least favorite, but I think it was the one I'd finally given up for a while. Because <laughs> I've actually been, I've, I've I've said, you know, episode three is not my not my favorite, and these guys are like all about the music in it and everything. So we might have to have a watch party at some point. Um, all right, well, it was Mustafar, it was Mustafar, so which uh, we won't get any, go any further into that because we'll start talking about Rise of Skywalker, and we want to keep Scott calm. All right, so uh, Dave, all right. What three words of advice does Luke give C-3PO before leaving to rescue Leia from the Death Star's prison? Three words. Dude. Yeah, man. Um, lock the door. There you go. It is lock the door. Yep. All right. And for myself... What sound adds to Chewbacca's discomfort while he's cooped up in a Cloud City detention cell? It's like a siren. That's an alarm. A siren, right? Mm-hmm. A siren. Yeah, there you go. All right, cool. We didn't really wait for our audience to uh, answer the question, but that's all right. They can pause. So there we go. We got our, we got our Star Wars out of the way. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's let's talk. Well, first of all, I guess well. Let's ask Scott though a Star Wars question. Let's just say, what is your favorite Star Wars movie of of the bunch? Uh, probably um, Empire. It's always Empire. Uh, but Last Jedi does come to a close second now. So why why is Empire? Is it just because everybody thinks that Empire is awesome? No, it's it's 
it covers the most of a uh, of the sort of uh, there's a, the theory in filmmaking of meanwhile back at the farm, and it covers mo multiple stories all at once that end up converging together. The best to me. So this seems like a setup question, but as you're answering this, um, I, I will say this. You know, because we, we talked about it in a, in a in a previous episode, Empire, Star Wars got the sequel, how to do a sequel correct. You know, um, because and it's one of my it's one of my criticisms. And this is the first time you guys can yell at me that some of the trilogies within the whole you know MCU seemed like the same storyline repackaged. You know, so it's like the sequels kind of made me go, eh. You know, it's always like the first of the three tended to be a little bit more enjoyable just from a, just an outsider here because it was like, oh, okay, it, it, Loki, Loki's bad. It, is Loki bad or is Loki good, you know? Or, all right, it's uh, Tony Stark is, you know, he's now grumpy again and selfish and now he's going to find his way. And now, he, you know, it just seemed like always had the same beats. I don't know. What do, you, what, what do you guys think? Am I, am I off base? And remember, I'm the guy who will also ask dumb questions just to fire people up. So, Well, like, I'm totally with you in terms of praising Empire Strikes Back, and we did a lot of that on a recent show. Um, they, they didn't just try to do the same thing again, and, and that's to their credit. They were smart enough to realize you can't just make Star Wars again because if you try, you're going to fail. Um, and so this is why, and for the MCU, for Star Wars, for any series or franchise, I, this is a major way to kind of weigh whether they're being successful or not, is whether they're trying something new and interesting. And this is when Scott said, oh, Last Jedi is maybe a close second for him at this point. Uh, you know, I nearly did a fist pump in the background because, like, I really, really appreciate the ambition in that movie. It's a different Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, just going to add, I think a lot, a lot of times, and this is sort of the, the part of what we discussed when we're doing our watch of Empire is you need, these movies to propel the story forward. You need them. It's nice when you get the space battles or the lightsaber duels or kind of the moments that kind of tuckle you, you know, wrap their arms around you, make you feel warm and fussy. Uh, I think Force Awakens does a great job of giving you that. Uh, but you need the, the, the counterbalance of that. You need something like Last Jedi or Empire to propel the story forward because out of those movies, out of those stories, you will get the next set of movies and ideas and events that'll just springboard into everything else that you know will impact the, the fandom and sometimes you know we you know it's almost like knowing ahead of what people are going to like before they before they tell you they want it so i know yeah scott go ahead did i am i uh, off I, on the sequel no no, no. I, and i think it depends on which especially when it comes to the marvel um movies which uh sequels we you're talking about because I think that later on as they got further into the sequels so Iron Man 2 definitely suffers from that where it doesn't really put anything forward from Iron Man 1 except for him discovering 
uh, the element that takes the arc reactor out of him. Uh, but I think with Captain America, it definitely had a, a, a better sequel than the yeah. first Captain America. Um, I think with Guardians, it kind of par levels out. Uh, it doesn't have as good a sequel, but I, I'm personally a bigger fan of two, which is my unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could see Thor 2, Iron Man 2, they definitely have this what are they moving forward with? And you don't get that until everything starts getting retconned into it. Uh, cool. So, okay. So that, I guess that is a question. So did they have, again, dumb, dumb Marvel newbie here. Um, did they have all these things mapped out and connected or is it just kind of loosely connected? And then, Hey, let's, uh, was there a lot of retconning as they went on? It's, they were loosely connected for the most part. They had the ideas of like, you know, they were going to eventually end up in an Avengers movie. Then they were going to end up at an Age of Ultron movie and then eventually down to in the Infinity Saga. They didn't so much say these are the things outside of that they're going to need. Like how to get to those except for a few key points. And I think part, part of the dynamic that Marvel was smart about was they put in the connective tissue you know, in the background, so that if they did want to spring, to, I mean, they knew, okay, we're going to have at some point Spider-Man coming in because they were making those arrangements with Sony. They knew they're going to bring up you know, Black Panther into the story. They knew that the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point were going to be folded into the greater MCU, but they didn't necessarily run out to tell you, oh, we're going to link them all together. You know, you could tell by the way that they were going to release the movies that at some point stuff was going to connect, but it was never, very rarely was it overt. More often than that, stuff in the background, stuff kind of hinted at, stuff suggested, so that if for some reason something would happen that they had to switch course and reverse stuff, they could do that and not uh, not impact the overall uh, story thread. Now, I will say this. Um, it's a good thing that Brittany and I were kind of spoiled on Eliza, you know, because even though we didn't watch the Marvel movies, we still you know, listen to people talk and, you know, and um, so I actually, I think that's why when I was talking to Scott, we were texting back and forth. I said, I think we're, you know, Infinity War didn't have the heaviness to us as probably other people because, you know, we, we, we knew what was coming and we knew what was coming after. So um, it was still a good movie, but um, it's a dang good thing that, um, I knew about the Infinity Stones to begin with because otherwise, I, I was you, your head would be kind of spinning. It's like all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what the the Power Stone came from there, and this stone came what where? <laughs> it's like you know they they have that one moment in I suppose it was uh, was it Infinity War or is it an Endgame when they finally get the story of all the. It was Endgame, right? Where they get all the stories of all the Infinity Stones. And anyway, you know, Britt and I were doing some Googling going, all right, where did they get all these things? Okay, so this is from Guardians. This is from, you know, so what I'm saying is that if you if you take mom or dad who have never known, they don't know anything about, you know, Marvel, they're going to be probably confused as all get out. Um, well, uh, and, that's, and that's what's interesting, that that story comes in Endgame. When they're trying to piece... Every, you know, the background of where they can find them again. Because if you look at it when they were originally introduced, like the Tesseract, the, the Space Stone, is introduced 
way back in Captain America, the uh, uh, the first Avenger. But it's not made of as a, oh, this is an Infinity Stone, and this is going to be important, and this, that, the other thing. This It's important of its own sake. It's important for the story you're going to see, and that's it. And the other good, smart thing that they did is, because a lot of this is just comic book stuff that, you know, yeah, it's real easy. You know, once you start stepping back, you're like, my God, there's a lot of really comic book geeky stuff all around us. They don't shove it all up in front. They're slowly introducing it bit by bit. Stuff like the Power Stone. It gets introduced in the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is where you first get the idea of the Infinity Stones. But, you know, but for uh, the moment with the Collector and then later on the Climax, that's it. It's a small story. You know, it's it's impact is to the story that you're going to see. Nothing else. I think like they let they gave themselves a lot of flexibility early on. I went, well, this is one of the smart things they did was they put in a lot of Easter eggs, and then they weren't obligated to follow up on them. It was I can pick this particular thing for us to do more with, or this other thing, and it wasn't really until um, the end of Thor: The Dark World where they show this this thing they've been battling the whole movie um oh this is an infinity stone what does that mean people who haven't read the comics still don't know but this is where they finally actually say we're going to connect all this stuff and we're going to make the effort to tell this particular story with with thanos i mean they teased him at the end of the avengers but again they didn't necessarily have to follow up on that I really think it wasn't until Thor the Dark World when they sort of had a good idea at that point. They, they probably didn't have every piece of it laid out perfectly at that point, but they knew, okay, we're going to have to introduce pretty much all of these stones over the next 15-odd movies, and then we're going to let it culminate. Um, and, you know, and... and it was a good decision um, because, again, they gave themselves all that flexibility early on. They, they didn't paint themselves into a corner where they had to, like, rewrite things. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of retconning going on. Like, again, we talked about it with the Space Stone being the Tesseract, being the Cosmic Cube. Um, you know, it's... You know, they they, re, they they went back and they grafted that onto the story, but they hadn't painted themselves in any corners to where they couldn't do that. Um, and that was the smartest thing they did early on. I think also one of the, uh, you know, and that goes to that idea of sometimes when you compare it to um, the, without casting as persons towards sequel trilogy, the idea of J.J. Abrams with the mystery box, you can build a mystery real easily, but then you've pointed it out to people. You've made it a big deal. Uh, one of the smart things Marvel did is they never made a big deal out of any one of the story elements. Whether it was, you know, the teaser of Thanos. If you read the comic books, if you know who Thanos was, you were excited. But again, that's all it was. It was just a moment. It didn't. It hinted at more without necessarily, as Dave says, locking them into saying, this is what must be told next. I think ultimately it's not until I believe it's Age of Ultron when he finally says, you know, when he finally has that teaser scene of, fine, I'll do it myself, and he's putting on the, the gauntlet. 
then you finally get an idea of, okay, now he's coming. But even that still took him another four or five movies before we finally saw him in his full power on the screen. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around the horn. Everybody's going to give their, we'll, we'll start, do we want to start with our top or our bottom? That sounded bad. Do we want to start with our favorites or our least favorites? Least favorite first. Okay, we'll end on a high note. Least favorite first. And and again, I, first of all, I, I, want, I do want to say this. I, I do want to throw out um, a couple that um, I was most surprised that, or three that I, that I was most surprised that I enjoyed. Okay, and these are not in my top or these are not in my top three, but ones I was surprised at. First one was Iron Man, and the reason why is because I remember I told this story before. My brother, um, for my birthday or Christmas or something, gave gave me Iron Man DVD, and I had no interest to see Iron Man at all ever. It wasn't like I said I was against it. I was just like, why is my brother giving me Iron Man? What is this about? What? And so it, I, I think a thing is still wrapped in my CD in my DVD cabinet. Um, and so I kind of went in with this, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because it's like, why did I get Iron Man, you know, for, but enjoyed that movie. Really did enjoy that movie. That was one, um, Dr. Strange. That was one I was not expecting to enjoy as much as I did that because it was, I knew again, no, I know nothing about the character, Dr. Strange. I didn't read the comic books. Um, I know I had a horrible upbringing, but, um, really, a really enjoyable movie. That um, and I guess I just I also like the the character development of Doctor Strange. You know, from you know, it's, we're basically like, okay, so, well, it's another Tony Stark. You know, um, but almost more arrogant. You know, um, but no, just totally enjoyed that movie. And the last one I was surprised was Ant Man. I remember seeing that advertised in a, in a trailer when we we're seeing another movie, and I was just like, ugh. What the heck? I mean, it didn't. It didn't make. It just had no interest to see it. But I was doing my homework, and it was a fun, it was a fun movie. It was a fun movie. Um, and you know, Paul Rudd helps with that. He he's just kind of fun. Um, he's though he's kind of like Vince Vaughn, where Vince Vaughn is the same person in every movie. I mean, Paul Rudd is kind of the same guy in every movie, but at least he's enjoyable. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, those were three that, like I said, just surprised me that I enjoyed so much. I don't know. Can I add dovetail off that? Like my the one movie out of all of these that surprised me in the same way was uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Um, I I just I had no interest in seeing that, and I'd seen the other Marvel movies. Um, I saw this thing. I saw the trailers for this thing. And it's just like, gosh, this looks hokey. There's no way this is going to be good. Um, I think we eventually ended up seeing it in a, a rental uh, and just loved it and thought, my gosh, they made this They made this thing work. You know, they made this work. And like they previously made Thor work. And I, that was what convinced me. That was the moment where I was like, this, this, they're onto something. They, they they can make these different characters fit in the same universe, and I'm I'm on board. And that, hey, that was the movie. And I was gonna say actually the one that kind of surprised me at first was Thor because that was always gonna be the first difficult character to turn. 
because his world is completely fantastical. You know, you can buy Iron Man, you know, rich guy, genius inventor, all the resources in the world. You can buy his character and his development, no problem. In a weird way, you can buy Captain America, particularly, you know, the idea of him as a super soldier, you know, fighting World War II, you know, standing up for what's right. You can buy his character. Thor is one of those characters that, again, works excellent in a comic book, but you start pulling out the threads, can be quite difficult to get. And I think what Dave says highlights one of the geniuses that uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel have had, which is they pick the right creator, for, uh, creator force or director for the for the uh, for the movie. So first Thor is Kenneth Branagh, and his goal is okay, ignore all the cosmic stuff, all the magic powers, the you know, you know Asgard, all that. This is a uh, a family drama set within a royal family. Boom. Shakespeare, he gets that. You know, you get Captain America, the first Avenger. They get Joe Johnston, who did The Rocketeer. Okay, boom, this is 1940s Americana, and we're going to give that to you this way. And I think that's one of the smart things they've done. You look at all the characters, whenever they've done one of the, their good movies, one of their great movies, they found the right creative force and plugged it into the right character. And their casting, too, mm -hmm. is the other yes. thing I'll add on top of that. They've just crushed it, like, every time out. Um, and you know that's what makes this stuff work. Even secondary, tertiary characters—it's like, wow, they got somebody who truly fits the role. So, Scott, yeah. any, any, uh, any ones that surprised you? I mean, you got to go Iron Man. I mean, you think, you think about ten years ago, no, nobody thought that a secondary, third, and tertiary superhero, because Iron Man, like when we think about him now, is not what he was. Mm -hmm. Like, he was never a big superhero. And I remember watching the cartoon in the 90s and just thinking, they're, they're doing Iron Man? Why are we doing an Iron Man movie? And I love Marvel. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, it just, it, it was everything. It, it just worked. Like you said, it, it, it's the fact that John Favreau has a love of this kind of nerd culture. It's the fact that Robert Downey Jr. goes through the same stuff Tony Stark did. It, it, it just worked perfectly. Uh, I didn't think that it was going to when I first saw it. So, Fredo, let's uh, let's start with you. What's your? Let's you go ahead and just say your your top three. We won't go around. We're doing bottom, right? We're doing bottom first. Bottom, bottom three. That's right. Okay, bottom three. We're, we're starting at the bottom. And, so, this, uh, and this doesn't mean that these movies suck. They mean no, that no, these no, are yeah. just not start, our favorite. Start with your bottom three, and why is it Incredible Hulk? Yeah, actually, that's one of my bottom three. So, incredible. Uh, just, I'm sorry. Disclaimer: uh, We didn't see any of the Hulks because they weren't on my list, and that's I all right. And I couldn't find one. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. Incredible. You know, it's interesting because you can totally tell. This is one of those things about course correction. You can totally tell that the Incredible Hulk got reconnected towards the MCU after the success of Iron Man because it comes false. Immediately after the same summer, they film uh, an extra pickup scene with uh, Thunderbolt Ross with, um, I forget the name of the actor now, uh, William Hurt, I'm sorry, and Robert Downey Jr. to connect it to the MCU. Uh, but no, but that one, it's not that it's a bad movie, it's just, it doesn't really give you much more than you've seen in other Hulk movies, which I think, I think that one of the geniuses is they've, they've given you the Hulk as a secondary character in just the right amount of doses. So that one's in there. I'll include Iron Man 2 because, yes, like 
like uh, Scott said, it doesn't really do much more than Iron Man one does. I mean, the casting again uh, is great. Whether it's uh, uh, what's his name as Justin Hammer or even uh, you know, well, I mean, you got Don Cheadle coming in with the line, "It's me, I'm here, get over it." <laughs> right. The idea of recasting, going from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle and not missing a beat, but. You know, there's even still, there's moments in there, like that whole fight in the middle of the party. It's kind of, eh. And then I'll, of course, even though I don't think, you know, I think it's got uh, saved a bit by Endgame, I'll throw in Thor The Dark World because, uh, it. I don't know, uh, uh, switching over from the first Thor and, you know, to the, some of the craziness that Thor Ragnarok did, I think Thor The Dark World couldn't find its footing. It was stuck in between, and you can totally tell that they were trying to do something different, but then they didn't go with Patty Jenkins as director. So, oops. Anybody, anybody want to take issue with his, his bottom three? That's, I'll just say mine are the exact same, and for pretty much the exact same. <laughs> All right, reason. so we'll pass it to Scott Coldbees. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Hulk, the Hulk movie, it missed out on going in either direction, like because. What I love, I'm a weirdo that loves Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> because yeah, he's weirdo. so weird. But it's just so, like, it's one of those things, it's a comic book in a movie form. Like, they even do, like, the way they do the editing and the, the, the like, cross screens where you see two different things at the same time, it's a comic book in movie form. I, I, it's a terrible film, but I love it for at least attempting that. And, and Incredible Hulk just didn't. It, it 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 was it seemed like a cash grab kind of movie of we have this property let's just make it. Thor: The Dark World just has all the pacing issues that any film can ever have. It's it, and I think that you can tell Christopher Eccleston doesn't want to be there through his performance. <laughs> it, it's like he he spent all the hours in the makeup chair putting that on and just regretted signing a contract. Uh, and like I said about Iron Man 2, it's it, like you said, it's it doesn't add anything except for getting Don Cheadle in there, and really that's about it. And, and having a Captain America Easter egg. And Mickey Rourke acting crazy as a Russian Ivan Banco. Yeah. About, yeah. Which again, it's it's not a bad. Like I said, just uh, Justin Hammer and uh, Ivan Banco are interesting villains, and the movie does not much with me with either one of them. And I think it also, like, when you look at Iron Man 2, it has, think about Vanko's plan. <laughs> like, he's going to go to Monaco, where Tony Stark isn't racing. He does that last minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. How is he getting to Tony Stark outside of that? <laughs> like, if Tony Stark doesn't get in the car, this entire movie completely changes. Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny listening to you guys talk about Dark World. Um, and I guess this is how forgettable that movie is because I'm trying to even, and I only watched it maybe a week or so ago, a week or two ago, you know, and it's like, I trying to pick up on the beats you guys are talking about, I swear to God, we watched it. So it is, it's kind of a forgettable movie, um, but it's not on my bottom three. I'll, I'll share mine. Um, and this might be, again, this is just, um, Ultron is one on there. And it's because for the first about 15 minutes of that movie, Brittany and I sat there looking at each other going, 
did we miss, did we skip a movie? And I was flipping through my list that you gave me. It's like, well, did we miss something? It's like, it, it's like when you walk in on a conversation that's going on for 30 minutes and it started talking about, you know, um, football and now it's talking about religion and you're trying to figure out what the heck just happened. I don't know. It's did now, I guess I'll ask this in all seriousness. Did I miss something? Was it, it seems like, it seems like it just picks up you didn't technically miss something. It was really fun for people who were into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. Because before that movie came out, we had, we, like, it's just a, a throwaway line in, in an episode. But they're like, you know, we have this op going on there. Like, they, they say that basically what they're doing is sending the Avengers somewhere. Now, it makes absolutely no sense in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing or uh, the Avengers think Coulson's dead and that's a whole different issue in its own. Uh, but it wasn't necessary to have, like, I don't think there was any like thing necessary to patch that over. It's just them doing an operation. So anyway, Creative, like, I was going to say creatively, it doesn't necessarily bother me when uh, storytellers do that. They, they employ that technique of we're going to skip forward so that the characters are in a different place and we can examine them at a different stage of their development, right? But you're right. That's what that movie does. Yeah, except um, for that you have, this, you have this whole universe that is you know, being sold on the fact that everything's kind of connected even as loosely as it is. I mean, Empire Strikes Back was, you know, what four years after star wars and we still i did i didn't you know we all didn't look around going what the hell is going on here you know it's not like but anyway. you know what the difference no but you know what the difference is imagine if empire star is for strike back start at the battle in the middle of the battle of Hoth. that's what basically age of ultron did to you they didn't give you the first 22 to 25 minutes of setup of reintroduction to the characters of getting to connect with where they've been, kind of grounding you, and then throwing you to the action. Age of Ultron starts in the middle of the action. And here's another thing that, and you know, Britt and I also talked about this, that maybe we were bothered by things that others who saw this in real time. You know, if you've had, three, you know, a year or two or whatever between movies, rather than a day or two between movies, then maybe these things aren't as, you know, jarring so um, take everything i say with a very you know very very large grain of salt you know or small whatever uh anyway okay so continuing on so ultron was one um uh iron man 2 uh i thought it didn't it, again it's it seemed like it was you know a sequel it seemed like it was a sequel like i said it's kind of the same beats like you know we're okay, Tony learns all these, you know, learns how to be a better person by the end of Iron Man, and now he's back to being, it's, we're kind of going in this this circle again. Um, I thought that, um, oh, crap. Uh, the uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Mickey Rourke. I, I thought that was, I thought that was a lost opportunity. Like, it seemed like it would be a really cool villain, and they have him in a lab for, you know, you know, fixing things for most of the time, you know, it's like, um, and then after doing some reading, it sounded like he was kind of pissed about it too. Um, uh, from, from an actor standpoint thought it was, but anyway, I, I just thought there was a lot of missed opportunities. Um, 
So, and, and it didn't seem to propel the overall Marvel story anywhere. No, I think that, you know, like I said, Iron Man 2 is uh, Sam Rockwell playing Justin Hammer and Mickey Rourke is playing Ivan Vanko. And they're both kind of like a dark reflection of Tony Stark and Iron Man, you know, in terms of what he could be, what he could well, turn and, to be. But again, they don't explore much of that. None of it. And I'm, I'm sorry, but the, the other thing about this is that the, the ultimate bad guy is in all, in, in really, in all aspects, Syndrome from the Incredibles, mm -hmm. you know, because Tony Stark, you know, pissed him off when he was younger. And so he's been spending his whole life building up his revenge. Oh, that's Iron, Man, that's Iron Man 3. McClunky. Okay, well, right. <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of McClunkies in here. All right, so maybe can link that's... all those together. Yes, you're right, okay, so I take that back. With but the anyway, Mandarin. That which... one was stupid. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no, which actually- uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna go at that one later. Yeah, <laughs> we, need, actually... we need to, yeah, because there's issues it, there. It, in my unpopular opinion, that's one of my favorites. And I, because of the twist, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that I did. Well, anyway, we'll we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, my my last one on the bottom three might be really unpopular opinion um, is uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok, and um, I think, and again, I was telling Scott this when we were texting. I said I think really I just fell victim to the hype. Because, you know, when it came out, people were like, oh, Taika Waititi. And, you know, like, oh, and it's they're doing all these wacky things. And it's a totally different Thor movie. And I was like, you know, so it kind of, so I was falling victim going, going this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And then the whole time I was thinking of that Irvin Kirshner quote where he said, you know, when he made Empire, he's like, I knew I needed humor, but not gags. And Ragnarok is filled with gags. And it's it's like... It just, it just kind of, it just, I don't know. It could have been, I don't know, a little bit. It just, maybe, like I said, maybe it just fell victim to the hype. Um, it was, it was okay, but it, it wasn't. It, it's kind of like when I had a, a friend tell me, it's like, oh, you got to see The Hangover. It's the funniest movie since Animal House. I should have learned my lesson when everybody was like saying, oh, Ragnarok is like awesome, and I should have just tempered my expectations a little bit but I felt let down by that movie. You're not alone. There, there are, I've read a lot from a lot of people that are just, you know, the humor doesn't work for them. And if the humor doesn't work for you, then the mo you're going to struggle with the movie at large. So then um, this is a good place for me to ask this question. This is a little bit humorous, but it's also a serious question um, because I actually kind of got a little ticked off being the Star Wars fan, not as bad as Tracy's that night when they got, you know, the, you know, trivia question thing. But uh, so in Endgame and Fat Thor. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to say this. Well, I, guess I, I paused it and I turned to Britt and I said, why does everybody in the world get butt hurt over Luke Skywalker going to an island because he failed and he's, you know, af afraid of what, might be and like totally destroys the internet because and ryan johnson ruins star wars but fat thor is funny and is totally you know acceptable in there and, were there oh, were critiques there, there were yeah yeah there okay. were a lot uh, of critiques so i'm i'm one of the i'm one of the net nerds here then okay no no no, no i think there was a lot of recognition that uh, they were playing, and this is difficult, they were playing a character that was clearly going through through depression and had let himself go for laughs. 
and which is always kind of a difficult uh, balance to try to strike because people were like, well, wait a minute, you know, Thor is telling you he feels like he lost and he's he has lost himself, his sense of who he is, et cetera, et cetera. But the moment you see him on screen, the entire audience busts out laughing. And then afterwards, everybody's making fun of him. So Yeah, you got rocket of- cracking jokes. And, you know, yeah, the whole thing, the tone of it when they introduce him, it works against what they're ultimately, I think, trying to do with the character, which is like what you said. He's he's depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going through a thing, a normal thing that a lot of people go through. Um, and he has one of the most heartwarming exchanges later on with his mother. It just it it breaks my heart watching that that scene. But I'm, and, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching to the choir here, though. But then why can't Luke Skywalker do that? <laughs> well, with all great. due respect to people who have yeah, been on the podcast, with all due respect <laughs> to our friends and everything, why can't Luke Skywalker go through that? Why does he have to be friggin' Superman that has no problems whatsoever through the whole thing? Because you. No, no, because, no, no, actually, because uh, the difference is the timing, the time difference between Infinity War and Endgame was one year. Not even that, it was 11 months. The time difference between Return of the Jedi and uh, The Last Jedi was something like 30 some odd years. So people had a lot of expectations. And that's the problem is you have an audience that expected Luke Skywalker, Jedi hero to show up, even though The Force Awakens spent two and a, two, nearly two and a half hours telling you things went bad. And if things go bad and your nephew becomes a murderous tyrant and kills all your students and destroys all your legacy, you're not just gonna be like, well, well, let's get back on the horse. It's gonna hit you, and that's what it did. But people, they want to hear that. Scott, you're gonna say something. Oh no, 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 I'm agreeing with everything. Like it's, it's, you know, people often, you know, and I know we've had discussions about this. That Luke was a flawed character to start. He he was never that bad. My monkey. You know, uh, uh, superhero kind of, of character. So no, it doesn't make sense why people freaked out about it. <laughs> I, I, you know, the 30 years of expectation is as good an explanation as any, maybe. But, um, I, you know, I was disappointed when I watched Endgame. Uh, I, I felt Thor was one of my favorite characters. I'd come to identify with him a lot. Um, Peter was another one. Uh, and Scott was, a, was the third. And all three of them were but, the butt of jokes in Endgame. Um, and... You know, that was frustrating, and, and, you know, I got in my feels a little bit about it at the time, but, you know, I, I think when you're dealing with characters that people love, it it is always just tricky. Uh, it's always going to be tricky, and you're always going to piss some people off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the all of us are in agreement. The Luke Backlash, look, I, I get it if you're a fan of a particular iteration like the eu mm-hmm. um but he that was luke skywalker to me in in the last jedi like every ideal that i had thought of him from return of the jedi and empire and, and the original I, that all came out in that movie for me well like um, i said it was my my uh star wars you know nerdiness like my hackles got up when it was like, 
because I've, 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 I've only ever heard, you know, people like laughing about Fat Thor and how we're going to have more Fat Thor, you know, in the next well, Thor it, movie. It, and... it, it, here's the thing. The backlash was different, though. Like, the backlash for Luke Skywalker was he, he's not my hero. You know, this is not my Luke kind of thing. And the backlash for Thor wasn't that he wasn't a, you know, ripped, you know, superhero anymore. It was the, the backlash was, why are we making fun of a person who's depressed and fat? There was a, it was two completely different backlashes. Cool. Fair. So, Dave, what's, uh, what's your bottom three? Well, some of this is going to sound familiar, so uh, we'll go through it fairly quickly. Um, I, I agree with The Incredible Hulk being at the bottom. Uh, I just... What's interesting, and here's where I guess I will defend these movies because it'd be more interesting to me to defend them than slag on them completely. Um, the Incredible Hulk, to me, was like, when it at release, was like one of the top 40 comic book movies ever at the time. Uh, but there's been, you know a hundred different comic book movies that have been released since then that have just continually pushed it down the list. Um, I think you can watch that movie and enjoy it, but um, it just, there's just not a lot there beyond some action and, you know, Edward Norton. Yeah. I will say, yeah, it's an interesting uh, uh, composition that Edward Norton brings to the character, completely different from Mark Ruffalo. And it kind of puts a, kind of like a comparison of how would you think Edward Norton would have done in the Avengers, in Thor Ragnarok, in these other movies. Because I don't see how his character would have worked as well meshing with all the other MCU characters. I think he did a good job. I just don't know it would have worked. So it's an interesting what if. I keep a running list of like where I would rank all of these different movies. Um, that's one of the geekiest things that I do, but I do it. Um, I got Incredible Hulk like 67th at this point amongst comic book movies, which feels fair. But again, like when it came out, it was nowhere near that low. Um, it's just the bar has been raised. Um, so I'll say that about that. And then I'll echo kind of what we've said about Iron Man 2. Um, I, I like the, I like Justin Hammer. I mean, that performance is, is so fun. And um, there's a lot of cool things that they hint at. Um, Tony Stark's battle with the bottle uh, is a major part of his character in the comics. And they hint at it there, but they don't really go further than just hinting at it. Um, so, I mean, I like some of the ideas there, but they just, I don't think they took it far enough. Um, and then the, my third movie, I'm going to go with, um, and I, I've thought about this a lot. There's three movies that everyone puts at the bottom. Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World. Um, I think Spider-Man Far From Home, it belongs in that group. Uh, because it just, it really doesn't do anything to advance his character from anything that we'd seen before. Um, it's just, he, he's Spider-Man and he's struggling and 
know that. Uh, he's struggling to juggle all of his responsibilities. Yeah, we know that. Um, you know, there, there's just... The, I like the Mysterio stuff, but you were talking about Syndrome earlier. He's the most Syndrome villain, villain of all time because he's pretending to be the good guy and I'm going to save everybody. Um, and and well, so I mean, it's like... To be fair, that's Mysterio. That's always been Mysterio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's fair. Yeah, but... You know, I, I've seen it done. I've seen The Incredibles, you know, and I've seen the second Incredibles movie. So it's like, okay, uh, you know, I mean, Mysterio technically was, was first, but I, I've seen everything in that movie before. Um, and it felt like a rehash and we didn't advance things. It just, I, it felt unnecessary. Let me ask you, Dave, do you think, which one do you put higher, Far From Home or Homecoming? Homecoming. Okay, much higher. Because I because I find that in a game, even though, and I always kind of think of where these movies kind of fall on the landscape. Because Far From Home, I think, worked better for me because it was kind of like the chaser to the big shot that was Endgame. So it's mm -hmm. very much more a teen comedy. It's very much more laid back. It's not as serious. So in some ways, I think Mysterio worked better for me. And kind of the idea of Peter having to deal with his emotions surrounding Tony's death. Uh, spoiler alert, you know, at this point. Uh, but anyway, but uh, even though I like Homecoming when it initially came out, I find I don't go back to it as much. Even though I think Michael Keaton's performance as the Vulture is awesome. It's a great way to bring that character into the into uh, the MCU. I like all the ideas that they're playing around with it uh, when they were in the prison and whatnot. I can't wait to see uh, Spider-Man uh, deal with somebody like the Kingpin whenever they get the rights to that character back at some point now. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I just I find both of those movies kind of hit the same. They're, they're like a standing uh, single. They're they're not bad. They're just not. Eh. What drove me nuts is that we did have Homecoming first, so we'd already seen that, and it, like even with this Tony Stark. Tie-ins, you know, he, he's the mentor that Uncle Ben was supposed to be, and but wasn't, and so it was Tony instead as a surrogate. Um, fine, but we'd already seen that in Homecoming, and then again, the villains were like out for some kind of vendetta against Stark, which kind of negates Peter's place in this whole thing. And if I'm I, I don't like that. If I'm honest, I think the Spider-Man PlayStation game tells a far more compelling and better Spider-Man story than either one of the MCU Spider-Man movies. And I know, know I'm the only one who's probably played it in the group, but it's, it is awesome. It is awesome. All right. Well, uh, Fredo, start us off on what your, your favorite three. Okay, top three. We're getting to the top bunk. Uh, and this is going to be in no order because trying to, trying to put which one goes ahead of which one is just insane. So I'm going to put uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 in my top three. I just, I still, it's one of those movies that I just love watching for their own sake. It's awesome. It's a lot of action. The humor hits. It's a lot of heart in it. Uh, it's the best uh, love letter to every 80s sci-fi movie that you grew up watching as can be. Uh, I'm going to throw in Black Panther because uh, it just, it works so well. On its own, it's just—it's a wonderful movie. Uh, 
regarding the sort of the story it's trying to tell and the characters. It just enriches the world of Marvel a great deal. Of, you know, just all the technology and all the stuff it's trying to say about colonialism and imperialism. You know, it's again heady stuff. And then I'm gonna put uh, Captain America. Actually, I was I was trying to decide between the second and the third Captain America. So, but I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Winter Soldier, just because it does such a great job of telling. Because that was one of the questions: How do you fit Captain America in 21st century world? I think, by God, if they don't find, they find a way out of fit him into the world, to our world, and it works. And it's got great, compelling performances, and it's just it's awesome. Cool. Anybody have anything to say, or should we just move to Scott? Well, let's go to Scott. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, again, well, in sort of no order, but uh, number three, I guess I have an order. Uh, number three is, is uh, uh, Winter Soldier. And all the same reasons you said, like, it is a way to bring him into this century. It's different than anything they had done up until then as a comic book movie. Uh, they all, uh, it just, it was a good way to, to, to do all that. Can I say something real quick about it? And for, since you, Scott, are a, uh, um, cameraman, you're, you, you, you really, you're notorious for not liking the, uh, the, uh, cinematography of Rogue One in some places. Um, but I will say I enjoyed, uh, Winter Soldier, but I didn't, but one thing that drove me absolutely bonkers was their excessive use of the shake cam during the fight scenes. Yeah, I can see that. Um. It was, I mean, it was like, it was absolutely, I was like, every, I was like, please let this fight scene be over soon because I felt like I was having a seizure every like, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. And it seems uh, like it's the only movie that did that. I don't know. Maybe I remember. So keep going. One thing I'll say too about that um, is like I don't with shake cam if you can t still tell what's going on I think that makes all the difference um, and in the in the most of those scenes I can still follow the action you watch something like the Batman movies uh, the Chris Nolan Batman movies you have no clue <laughs> it's like it looks like two guys that could be miming with one another you have no idea if they're actually fighting or not so um yeah i i'll throw that in there before i let scott react yeah uh and i'll i'll, uh, I'll come back to something in this film that i absolutely love about it but i'll leave it with my one of the other ones uh my second is the unpopular opinion and it's only because it's my fav one of my favorites not one of the best as i'll put it is uh, uh iron man 3 now, I know the issues with Iron Man 3, of uh, that terrible, terrible twist <laughs> that should not have happened. <laughs> but I think Iron Man 3 is the one that deals most with uh, his character flaws. And that's always been my favorite part of, of Tony Stark and Iron Man, is what are his character flaws. And I think the, if you take out that that twist. If that twist didn't happen, <laughs> and there was actually a Mandarin, <laughs> and it, it, it would have been better. And I also, I, I was talking to Aaron about this through text, is I have a bias towards that movie because I love Shane Black. <laughs> like, Shane Black films are amazing to me, and, and him doing Iron Man 3 was everything. 
What other movies has he done? Uh, he's done the first two Lethal Weapons. He did uh, 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 Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, the only one I haven't seen so far is I haven't watched his new Predator film. I don't know. I don't know if anybody saw that. edit. <laughs> so, uh, oh, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. I was going to go into my last one of. Uh, Unless you had something else. No, no, no. Go for it. Okay. Uh, and then my last one is the big obvious choice in the room, and that's Endgame. And Endgame, to me, it, you know, I've, I've seen all of these films since they came out. You know, like every single one is important to me. And Endgame was the culmination of that. Of not only, not only the, the years of watching 20-plus movies and TV shows and everything of that, uh, but being a comic fan from a child, you know, like it's everything I wanted a comic book movie to be. And it really, it's especially in that last hour, that last hour of like, so I, I've always had this issue with civil war and it's the airport battle. The airport battle is one of my least favorite scenes in a Marvel film. And it's only because I know that splash page they were trying to represent in that from the Civil War comic books. <laughs> and it didn't work with 12 people. <laughs> but then from that moment that Captain America says, you know, Avengers Assemble, which is, you know, I cried when I heard him finally say it after all these years, uh, to when they're charging and all the way to the end where Tony says, I am Iron Man, it's just comic book page after comic book page. It's like, it's pages coming to life. And it was what I wanted to add with Winter, with Winter Soldier, the first time I felt that in any of these films was when Captain America is holding onto the helicopter. And there's not many moments in these films where I felt that it's a comic book come to life. I love them. They're great stories. But Endgame was that. It was a comic book come to life for me, especially that last hour. And it's, it's also, it's paced perfectly where by the time you get to that final battle, you don't realize you've sat through two hours of a film and you don't even realize once it's over that you've just watched another hour of film. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would agree with that because I, I, I think I paused it because we just watched it last night. Um, and I, I paused it and I said, um, that's right. I forgot this is a three hour, almost three hour movie. Um, so, um, I was actually quite surprised with, with Endgame that, um, thought that we were going to get a lot more Captain Marvel, but see, I, I, mean, I was happy we did because it, you know, especially when you see her in that last battle, it, it's clear how easily it, it's. It is to write her as OP because she is overpowered. Um, that it shouldn't be a difficult thing for her to defeat Thanos. And if she's in it more than she is, it's really hard to go. Well, why didn't we just use Marvel for this whole thing? Sure. You know the uh, like I said, the other thing I did I will say um, that when the um, when they all start coming out of the you know. Um, uh, Doctor Doctor Strange's portals and everything, that that was really powerful, and it, it's what it's obviously what they're 
trying to get with Rise of Skywalker, but Rise of Skywalker, you just got a bunch of ships that you didn't know, but you were like, oh, and there's Groot, and oh, there's those guys, and oh, there are those guys. So you're excited that these, you know, all these people were back. Um, so uh, it, it's funny that you say that, Aaron, because uh, and you can go and go look up YouTube that weekend when that movie premiered. That moment was the moment that everybody was putting theater reactions to, like everybody cheering in India, in China, in Brazil. Like so, the moment when all those portals opened up, everybody just standing up and clapping and losing their minds like it's a constant. You're like, it's a movie, but they, that goes to the job that Marvel did of building these characters. Well, the bigger, the big, the big moment I saw the reaction for was. Uh, 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 no, it, it's, it's it's not a podcast if Dave Glado doesn't leave the meeting. Um, but uh, no, the the reaction I saw was when uh, Captain America catches uh, Thor's hammer when he uh, lifts the hammer. Yeah. Because again, I see and that's a good example. It's hinted at in Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. Never comes up again up until that moment. So if you didn't see Age of Ultron, you didn't miss anything. You you know it it it's that's no major bearing on the story. But if you saw it, you go like, oh, that's cool. We always, you know, you, you can connect those two moments together. And, and, and one thing, and this will sound weird coming from me because you guys know me at least, uh, and, and my ranting about fan service for fan service sake. This movie is a three-hour fan service, and it's done absolutely right. Like, there is no point where you're watching any of the fan service moments where you're like, oh, that was obviously because of this. Like, like even things like the elevator scene. Obviously, the elevator scene is a callback. And it has that little fan service moment of Hail Hydra. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's an amazing, like, that's a perfect moment for that. Or America but says. But you don't need to have read that comic where Captain America says, Hail Hydra, to understand what that movie, what that moment is. To, to people who read the comic book. Like, it doesn't take away from, it. like, you know, I've always said about Rogue One, seeing the two guys from, uh, from Tatooine on that planet makes no, it, there's no, it serves no purpose to a story. And it's just throwing it in there because you can. And yeah. I never, I didn't feel like there were any moments in Endgame, really, that were, we're just throwing this in because we can. Maybe Howard the Duck. But that's about it. It's the <laughs> ultimate fan service movie, like you said. I mean, it's the ultimate. And, like, fan service is not a dirty word. And people shouldn't treat it as if it is. Because if it's done well, it can serve the story and, and just be enormously entertaining. But also, and I also think that particularly because they left for this movie, which is this, that's the thing. That's also part of the reason why you could just have Captain Marvel be as big an influence in this movie, because this is the send off for the original Avengers. That's why they're the ones who survived the snap. That's why they're the ones who are intricately involved in the uh, time heist. That's why they all got to be there for the end. Um, so you want, this is their, you know, the end of their story in a way. Yes, Thor will have other movies. Yes, we might see Hawkeye in his TV show. Uh, but it's going to be different, and Hulk will be appearing every here and there. But it's going to be a different kind of world where it's going to be more Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Spider Man in the foreground and Doctor Strange, I guess. Uh, but it's that idea of we're going to give you a three hour rousing, 
parade to our to how awesome everything has all been. And you know you want to come along for the ride because you've been coming, you know, riding with us since 2008. So come along. So, uh, so my my top three um, were, uh, and the the first two I'll kind of link together because um, kind of for the same reasoning. It was um, Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel, and the reason why those two I like I said I'm lumping those together is I absolutely loved the the character interactions throughout both those movies. I thought Nick Fury and Captain Marvel were just those two. There was obvious personal chemistry between the, they, you know, you could tell that they were, they, they got along. Um, but uh, just the way they wrote the, just every, all the characters, like I said, both Black Panther and Captain Marvel, I just, I, it, they're good stories. I, I just, it, they're just fun movies. And you really, um, it didn't seem like there were any throwaway characters, really, either. Um, but um, the other one that I'll that I'll put in there that that was uh, kind of surprising is I'll actually put Infinity War. Um, Infinity War is kind of the Empire Strikes Back of this whole thing. I mean, you know, and it was even though, like I said, that some of it was kind of, um, you know, some of it was kind of lost because I was kind of spoiled, you know, and knew what was coming and stuff like that. Um, but it also seemed like it was the most purposeful of all of the movies. You know, it's like, okay, everything that you've gone through has led you here, you know, and then to have everything go wrong, you know, um, I just, I, I thought it was just a really compelling story. thought it was, uh, you know, end game. I will say there was, it, I know it's kind of, I, th I thought it at the time, and then I was watching some reactions and other people were saying this as well. Um, it's a little too Back to the Future 2-ish at times, you know? <laughs> they and even reference it. Yeah, they even reference it, right? You know, so, I mean, but uh, like I said, it's, it was still a great movie. still really enjoyed it, but it was, um, you know, it, I thought Infinity War had a more compelling story. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, in a in a symphony, when you play, usually um, the the third movement, the you know the, your final movement in a symphony um, is usually the most fun to play because it's calling back. You get the recapitulation. You're calling back all the themes. It's usually the one that kicks butt the most, and it's loud and it's just you know energetic, and you just you know brah at the end. That's end game. You know the second movement. Um, is usually the the one where um, it's that you know the composer starts screwing with things. It's it's a little you have to really be focused when you're playing this movement. It doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. It's usually what audiences don't really like to listen to the most, unless you're really geeky about it. So you know, so I guess for like I said, from a musical standpoint, this this kind of made sense to me, and so that's why I don't criticize Endgame, you know, because it was. It was the finale. That's what the finale is supposed to be, you know, end on a major key and a major chord and, you know, rah, at the end. Um, but like I said, I just, Infinity War was just far more interesting, I would say. So those are my three. Well, Aaron, like to, I, you know, go back and if I go back to what you've said before about the Avengers movies, when you were in the midst of doing this experiment, 
he said, I, you know, the Avengers movies aren't really working for me as well as the smaller character pieces because, like, why are they not getting along? Uh, you know, it feels like a regression. And we talked about that. And, like, for Infinity War, it all makes sense. It makes sense because you have to separate the characters for them to lose, for there to be tension, for it to be, you know, the possibility that they don't, actually win at the end of the day yeah but you don't need three avengers movies where they're always yelling at each other you could probably <laughs> done it in one or two yes and i agree with you and then that's why i feel like infinity war works as well as it does because you have the events of civil war that are still lingering over everything and they're not together and they're divided and that's why they lose and you can see that it's going to happen. It's written on the wall, but it's still really interesting to see it unfold. By the way, and you all, you all know my wife. My, uh, you know, Brittany's favorite moment in probably any Marvel movie was in Endgame when Captain. When they said to Captain Marvel, "Do you need any help?" and they said, "No, she's got backup." And that's when all the female characters were there, and Britt was like jumping off the couch, fist pumping. She was, she was fired up. So. <laughs> It, it was a very cool moment. That was a great moment. That was one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Like I, it's, seeing that on release day, I was like, this is the moment I know I'm going to have to yell at people about mm-hmm. because they're not going to understand it's not for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not for the, you know, live in their parents' basement people who will argue against representation. It's for the people who want that representation. And it was... It, it, yeah, I mean, fan servicey, but again, it works. It works, and um, well, I loved it, was, it. It was also, you know, we've talked about, you know, Ray has done the character of Ray has done so much for Star Wars to give, you know, little, you know, young girls, you know, like to have their Star Wars character. Yeah, we had Princess Leia, but you know, she's always kind of more of a politician than you know a warrior. You know, which Ray was more of a warrior. Um, but here it was like Marvel was saying, "See, girls, here's we got all these characters for you. You know right. that rem- you've seen them spread out in these movies, but here they all are." And yeah, it was it was powerful. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, I think uh, first of all, going back to what you were saying about Infinity War, it pulls a neat trick where it makes the villain the protagonist, it's because Thanos is the one going through the character arc. He's the one who's gonna suffer and he's the one who's got to sacrifice in order to achieve his goal uh but also well, and he's i'm sorry he's relatable as well mm-hmm. in a sick way because how many of us are like going oh it's just too many tourists in this town <laughs> wish they'd all just go home mm-hmm. right i mean right. There, we've we've all had that get off my lawn you know kind of feeling and that's yeah yeah and then and in some ways it's it would have been easy to play because if you look at the comic uh Thanos. He's very much more a megalomaniac. He's much mm-hmm. more the sneering, over the top, you know, death worshiping villain. And what and this goes to some of the genius that the writing and creative forces within the MCU have done is they haven't just simply you know, lifted from the comic book and dropped right into a movie. They've assessed the characters and the and the and the stories they want to tell. And made sure that they fit. So in this case, yeah, Thanos is going to be the big bad villain. I always remember leading up to Infinity War, everybody knew we were going to get that snap because that was in one of the first issues of Infinity of the Infinity Gauntlet 
saga. So I went, okay, we're going to get a snap. So who's going to die? And that was a point of discussion leading all the way up to that movie's release because you knew it's the Chekhov's gun. You set it up, it's going to happen. Uh, uh, you, all, you all saw what uh, when Endgame came, or Infinity War came out, you saw what Google did with mm-hmm. their with their Google Doodle, they made a, you could snap the gauntlet and your search results would disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Somebody got paid good money to do that. I, how would you like to have that job at Google? Mm. Anyway. <laughs> That's a lot of code. No thanks. But it's, but I think they, you know, they, uh, they recognize, cause that was, that was one of the charges against Marvel at the start was the weakness of their villains. And it's not that they were weak is that the quality of their leading characters were so strong that you knew they were going to win. I mean, even on top of it being a comic book movie, you wanted them to win. You liked Tony Stark. You liked Steve Rogers. You liked Thor. So uh, the only the only villain that kind of approached him was Loki, which was why it made sense that he had to be the villain in the first uh, Avengers. But, um, you know, they suffered through some secondary villain issues up until you get to later on to characters like Killmonger and characters like Thanos. So Aaron, I also don't want to undersell your other two choices, mm-hmm. um, especially because they're very socially important movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that may not have anything to do with why you might have picked them. Um, well, that has a lot to do with why I picked them as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just, like, again, we talked about representation. Uh, that's critical, but... There's also just this idea of moving the goalposts further down the field and making progress um, as a society and, you know, telling these stories and doing it well, you know, not just saying, oh, yay, feminism, you know, or yay, representation, Um, telling a coherent story at the same time. I, I think, like, those are important movies, they just are. And I really appreciate that they both made your list. They're both in my top 10 mm-hmm. as well. No, and I was going to say, recognizing that they needed to get, like for Black Panther, they went and got Ryan Coogler, who immediately said a vision for not just the character, how they wanted to tell him, but how to make sure that it was authentic to his experiences, you know, both in Wakanda and in the greater world. So, it never, you know, it, it, that's the difficulty with a lot of these movies. It can be very easy to come off as cheesy, if not offensive. That's one of the reasons why they unfortunately made the switch with Iron Man 3, with the Mandarin. Because yeah. that's a character that's created from the 1960s from a different era that if you try to transpose them to today, good luck. It may work out, it may not. It all depends on how you try to do it. So they just made the easy choice to not even consider bringing them. But that's the thing is that now it's the fact that especially now that they are considering bringing him in, it, it's it's. I, I just thought that was a wasted opportunity because they didn't inherently like uh, you know Ben Kingsley's performance did not come off up until that moment where he's like oh I'm Trevor and it's like everything up until then was fantastically done mm-hmm. and then it just why. <laughs> But you know, in some ways, that that, that twist, I was, I was laughing when it finally dawned on me what they did. And I went, that is brilliant. That is perfect. It says a lot about, you know, modern geopolitics that you can create a boogeyman 
on the level of the Mandarin and have people believe that it's real and make him a threat for even somebody like Tony Stark. But at the same time, then you go like, go like, no, that's not really the threat. At the same time, I'll say, I don't know if you saw any of the uh, extra features or whatever in the movies. They they have hinted in the MCU that there's a real Mandarin out there. So uh, yeah, they're they're putting him in uh, what's it called? Um, Shang Chi. Yeah. Shang Chi. Yeah. Okay. So, but you see, I think it, it may work better there than it would have done in Iron Man three. I don't know. It also shows a studio that's a lot more confident mm-hmm. at this point. Oh, they yeah. know they can do it. So, Dave, what's your uh, top three? All right. Well, um, some of this is familiar ground, so I'm going to actually just not list my top three. I'm going to go ahead and put Ragnarok in here, um, which is technically fourth for me, but I wanted to talk about it. Um, I love what they do in this movie in terms of its political commentary. Um, again, we talked about how the, you know, the humor may work for you. It may not work for you. Uh, similarly, the action may or may not work for you. It's very CGI heavy and, uh, fantastical, you know, they're out in, it's Jack Kirby, right? We're out Mm -hmm. in space and there are all these vibrant, crazy colors and, uh, you know, the set design is wacky and, um, you got Jeff Goldblum in this movie, and there's just like a whole lot of stuff to just like You're hitting all the things that just annoyed the crap out of me. All this stuff is gonna—that's <laughs> my point. Like it's—it's it's not gonna work for everybody. It's just not. But um, we talked about colonialism in Black Panther. There's colonialism in this movie, um, and they just talk about the cost of war the cost of subjugating other peoples and I, I i thought it was very tastefully done which is fascinating because you've got this kind of wacky kooky director uh you know with this gag filled movie and underneath all of that you have this you know important message yeah the idea of legacy the idea of the fact that uh, asgard is built atop of the wars and the conquests and the plunder that they all the, took part in and that in order to serve no in order to save the people of asgard you got to let all that go and yeah. i like the character growth too of thor and loki in particular uh the the it's very self-aware um that scene where thor talks to loki about you know oh you know you're gonna betray me after i trust you and you know these are you know this is where we are and life's about growth brother you know and like i just loved that because it just it really crystallized their relationship and it showed you that yes they do have to move forward and there has to be growth and then loki comes through and he does and that's what makes his and eventually tragic and then they do get help yeah but um yeah it it worked for me in every way it could have uh an immigrant song man i mean immigrant song come on so um so i will, that, I will say I, I've got, i'll say one last thing yeah that um that movie made me worried about taika watiti doing a star wars movie I've seen Taika direct, you know, you know, 20 minutes of Mandalorian 
and I was fine. But it, I, I get what you're saying about the messages. Uh, but when you, it, it's it's like having the world's best rock band on stage, but then you know having inflatable animals and a laser show and everything. I'm not that sound like Pink Floyd now. But anyway, you know what I mean. But, <laughs> But but like have it but like having all of a sudden Muppets running around on stage and you know it's like what you're so you're distracting you're just you're distracting me with you're distracting me with all the bells and whistles and you know Dave when you mentioned colonialism I went to Brit and I said Dave was talking about how he likes the message about colonialism we both went maybe we need to go watch this movie again because that was not apparent. Uh, uh, just from the from the get go, so. I will say I will say watch Jojo Rabbit if you have any apprehensions about Taika Waititi. He he comes off as somebody who's very funny and laid back and nonchalant, but he can get to some serious messages when he wants to. It's just he's very cognizant of the medium he's in, and I think to to Dave's point regarding Thor Ragnarok, look at the track record. I mean, because he he is paying off a lot of the stuff that got uh, built in the first two Thor movies, namely the relationship between Loki and Thor, but also the sheer gumption to go, you know what? We did the Shakespeare thing in Thor 1, worked. We tried to repeat it in the dark world. It didn't work. We have to go a whole different way here and finding a way to, to connect with audiences in a way I don't think any Thor, any of the other Thor movies have done. But to your point, Dave, Immigrant Song, yes, I will say this, Marvel knows how to use music. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, not necessarily composed music, you know, in like the symphonic score type of way, but, you know, from just their use of, you know, rock music throughout, that was good. So anyway, all right. So I'm done poo-pooing on your, one of your favorites oh, there. That's one. We need two more. <laughs> uh, number two for me, uh, I'll go Avengers, the original one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Endgame. I love Infinity War. Um, I don't even hate Age of Ultron, but all of those movies for me require prior knowledge of this universe. Um, You have to have seen some of the other movies or read some of the comics to kind of get it. Um, And the Avengers was just this magnificent crossover event that we didn't even know could happen. Um, It had never been done before at this, at this level. And, um, and I know that a lot of people have some critiques over pacing and how some of the characters are portrayed, et cetera. Um, but that last hour of that movie was just, um, it made me feel like I was, you know, nine years old again, sitting in a movie theater and uh, just magical. Um, so uh, I wanted to include that one. And then my top choice uh and it's been my top choice, you know, for nearly a decade now, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it just, well, Aaron, you were just talking about the music. Obviously, they crush it in that regard. Um, the casting was perfect. Uh, the the inter-character uh, dynamics are perfect. Um, the whole space western, uh, Star Wars influence, I love I love the humor works for me. Um, but the thing I always come back to with that movie, for me, it gets me the most emotional of any of the Marvel movies. And it's that callback 
from the very beginning of the movie to the very end of the movie when she says, take my hand. And that just kills me every time. And it's such a simple idea, but it's executed flawlessly. And I mean, that's what that story is. It's about finding healing and, and finding your family when, you know, you're coming from this place of damage and wreckage and uh, it's just un inspiring for me. And it will always be get, my favorite. And then you get guardians Two with the most ridiculous end fight scene on the planet. That whole thing with, with uh, Kurt Russell was just. But that's, that's, what I, that's what I love about it. It's so ridiculous. It's awful. <laughs> It's just so over the top, though. And that's what I like about a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of thing, is that it is just so fantastical. They, even in the first one, they go to a place that is a celestial skull. <laughs> <laughs> Again, those are all those Jack Kirby uh, influences where you can totally tell either you know, he was on doing something or he was on something at the time. But actually, to Guardians too. You know, I find that the ending of Guardians 2 somehow has even more emotion than Guardians 1. Just from the way of the Yandu sacrificing himself for Peter, and then afterwards the message he has regarding pushing, you know, how, you know, you know how you may try to push people away, but, if, you know, they'll try to be there for you, etc. It's It's interesting. They find good ways to mix in very strong emotions in very silly movies. <laughs> Oh, and I didn't mind Guardians being silly at all. I, I mm -hmm. like Guardians one, I just, uh, and Guardians two. I was in uh, in until that last until the last fight. And I was just like, oh, good. Yeah, Lord. when Pac-Man showed up. Oh yeah, when Pac-Man. I <laughs> <laughs> just said again, and and I, always, and I always go back to the point with with those with those characters because it's interesting. I mean, you missed out, but in a, when Infinity War came out, and all of the internet turns against uh, Chris Pratt's uh, Star Lord. Oh, for, yeah. for helping to lead to the snap by accident. And you tend to forget that his character is one that's not necessarily a stunted adolescence, but he's still very much not taking things seriously. And it's the growth of his losses and the growth that he goes by, you know, forming the Guardians that kind of leads him to a better place. But that threat's always in the back of his head that he could always revert back. But, I yeah. mean, forget about even that. Like, people did, weren't paying attention to time like how, like where that was in the movie. That's yeah. after Doctor Strange has gone. There is one way to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we know at that point, if they're going to win, they have one way, and it involves Chris Pratt's character throwing a fit. <laughs> yeah, did you catch that, Aaron, on first viewing? Because it took me, I don't know, maybe a half hour after the movie had ended of just like reflecting and thinking about it to realize that Dr. Strange had seen yeah. the outcome oh, yeah. and had known this is the only way. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It took, it took a lot of the internet a while to get to that point. Right. Yeah, Cause they were, they were mad with him. What's interesting. They were mad with him because Spider-Man died. They were mad with him because, you know, all those characters out. It was interesting to see people just turn on a character that they like. They just yeah, it's amazing. There, a lot of them were like they could have ended this here, and it's like mm -hmm. no, 
Doctor Strange laid it out. They could not have ended that here. So <laughs> and they even go back and go like when he goes one in Endgame. It's like he's telling Tony Stark, "This is it." So let's let's back you all up because they did this before. It's I remember the conversation Britt and I had during Civil War um, was uh, again we paused it and I said, "So basically, they're making me hate characters that I've grown to love now," you know, because it's like. You were picking a side, really, at one point, you know, in Civil War, and it's like, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I was getting mad at characters that, you know, previously I'd really enjoyed. And I was so, I mean, yeah, it was it was well done that way. So I, I, th I thought Civil War was cool that way. The genius of Marvel's uh, golden age, so to speak, when Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and all the other guys who created these characters back in the early 60s, they went, we're not going to give you heroes. We're not going to give you a fully formed Superman or a fully formed Batman or Wonder Woman who makes the right decision every time. We're going to give you human characters that have powers that choose to do good. And therefore, that means they screw up. That means they make mistakes. That means they get mad and lash out and act in negative ways. That's been the brilliance of those characters because they said you'll connect through with them because they're like you. And uh, one of the things that, yeah, like whether it was Tony Stark's alcoholism or in some ways the depression that, you know, the depression that Thor falls into, or in this case in Civil War, which is one of those movies that are, again, it was almost a man being number four on my list because it's, it's interesting that there, there's all the heady ideas at the top, but what ultimately splits them is, the fact that they cannot come together as a family on an emotional level because of the secrets that they're keeping from one another, that's what tears them apart. It's not the Sokovia Accords. It's, you know, Bucky killed Howard Stark and his wife, and Tony will not let that go. Can't let that go. Oh, cool. Anyway, well, that, that to bring that conversation to an end. Pareto <laughs> 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 wins. Uh, <laughs> So well, no, Aaron, I'm, are you, are you going to stay with it? Are, you know, we've got a Black Widow coming out whenever. God knows whenever. Mm -hmm. um, this fall, I guess. Um, you know, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to keep watching them? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, we'd already been, like I said, we'd seen Guardians and Black Panther and Captain Marvel. We were not anti-Marvel. You know, it's just, um, but uh, so, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's a little bummed. I wish I wish Hawkeye would have uh, been sacrificed than Black Widow for the Soul Stone, but you know uh, that, that was that, that's going to be interesting discussing the Black Widow movie whenever it comes out because it's an interesting choice they made because they could have gone either one, and I think in so many ways people thought, well, Hawkeye's the easy choice. He's the one that's least popular. We got plenty of dudes. We only have one girl in the original set, so sacrifice Hawkeye plus. He's the guy who's behaving the most suicidal in the story. So if he sacrificed himself for the greater good, so be it. But, yeah, but it wouldn't have had the emotional impact it did. Had it, like if we're all like, okay, Hawkeye, you can go do your thing and, and fall. We need, we need, we, we need a Black Widow. <laughs> like it wouldn't have had that hit that that moment did in that movie. A lot of people were upset that. Uh, that it was Black Widow who got fridged, you know, the only female character from the original group. Um, 
and you know ultimately tony dies as well but um yeah i i tend to agree with you scott i just that was a more emotional um sacrifice than hawkeye could have provided because hawkeye's always been kind of a periphery character so this is almost perfect now so to to bring this kind of to an end i'm going to share this maybe you guys have seen this uh, uh, share a chrome tab here um snl did an avengers thing this is called hawkeye disappoints the avengers and let me hit play We're in trouble. The Chintari are invading Earth through the portal Loki opened with the Tesseract. In English, woman! Aliens are attacking New York City! Then it's time to assemble the Avengers! You mean your super team? No, they are so much more than that. A super soldier, a monster, a god, an archer. Wait, an archer? Yeah, like a Bonell dude. Like super arrows? Nah, no more arrows. I mean, he's just really, really good at it. They're all we have left! <laughs> Great shot, Hawkeye. All right, listen up. The pool is open, Stark. I want you to get up there and take him out. Take him out? Like on a date? You got quipped. It's your turn to light him up. Rise, God. Does anyone have scrunchy? Black Widow, get ready. I was born ready. And Hulk. Yeah, Hulk smash! I know, I know. Great. Now, Hawkeye, it's time to do your thing. I'm out of arrows. <laughs> what? I'm all out of arrows. I don't have any more. So, uh, I guess I'm done, right? Alright, I'll be in the car. Stay safe. No, wait, no, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, wait, you're leaving? Yeah, I mean, I need my arrows. It's kind of my thing, right? You guys got this. How many arrows did you bring? All of them, like 11. 11? 11, there are 100,000 aliens out there. And I killed 11 of them. You're welcome. <laughs> my arrow thing only holds 11. 12 if I really cram them in there, but it's not safe. Anyway, good luck. Keep fighting, brother. Hit them with your bow if you must. Hit them with my bow? It's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Use your brain, point break. Uh, Hope feel like he's doing all the fighting right now. What, what, why is the big guy giving me such a hard time? Hey, what about Black Widow? She doesn't do much either. Did someone say my name? <laughs> that was hard. Uh, never mind, I see why you keep her around. Guys, I've got a plan! There we go. All right. All right, here's what we do. We can shut down the generator, okay? All we need is a direct hit through an arrow-sized core. All right, a little tiny hole. So take the shot, Hawkeye. He's out of arrows. Oh, come on, Hunger Games. What are you doing? Just pull arrows out of the aliens you already shot, Katniss. It's not sanitary. Oh, okay. Hope <laughs> find arrow! Nice. Thanks, Hulk. Pat it up, baby. Ah! Damn! My fingers! 
think I jammed my my ball pulling thing. Today's just not my day, guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, why would I need that? I have a shield. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, guys. I wish you could have been more help. Maybe you can. Hulk, Hulk grab it. it. What? What do you mean? I can't. I can't Oh. Great work, Hawkeye. Couldn't have done it without you. Couldn't have done it without me. <laughs> uh, yes, we could have. <laughs> so yeah, that was almost too good. <laughs> And getting Jeremy Renner to make fun of his own characters always kind of fun. Uh, he's so, getting his own TV show, so you know, we'll see where that goes. Well, with that, any uh, final Marvel thoughts? Anything you've been wanting to say or yell at me about? Or I will say, now that you've seen him, now that you've seen the whole thing, look at what everybody else has tried to do and failed. And you know, I think it's important for everybody to always recognize it's not this easy. You know, we're talking about our, our bottom movies, and even they were quantifying like they're not bad. We just have they're not as good as some of the other ones, or they don't reach the levels of some of the other ones. Uh, but it's amazing to think how everybody in Hollywood for the last decade plus has been chasing after this model and failed. Whether it's Universal's Monsters uh, Universe that failed or D. Warner Brothers with the DC uh, uh, movies that didn't quite get off the ground, you know, when they try to cram them all together. So, so it, it looks easy until you try to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we see that, uh, you know, I've been very vocal on this podcast about the sequel trilogy that, the you know, the thing they really failed at was planning an overall story, you know, even if they just had loosely connected lines like we talked about earlier. You know that that was not the case in the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. So hopefully they'll you know future trilogies they'll they'll get that figured out. But uh, anyway, well cool. Well, uh, what's uh how's there? Everybody got their uh, tropical swarm snacks and everything ready to go. Uh, may need some more beer. That's about the only thing. Let's pick some up yeah. uh, today. Yeah. Need, need a Topo Chico run. And. Uh, and by the way, I found Margaret Orr on uh, on Twitter. Um, so she got praised for pronouncing Cristobal correct. Um, <laughs> so I, I I posted the tweet in our in our uh, our little Twitter channel there. So I thought that was kind of funny. But way to go, Margaret <laughs> Orr. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, everybody stay safe and uh, um, yeah, and avoid all the plagues. So. Um, and until then, what's that? Please don't flood. Yeah, please don't flood. That's right. So, uh, but cool. Until then, we'll say who dat. And, who dat? Uh, we won't make Scott say who dat. That's okay. I'll say Barry Gone. How about that? <laughs> that? There you go. There you go. Who dat? <laughs> we'll take it easy. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say you can find us on uh, um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Google Podcasts, Podcast. uh, Podbean on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and uh, all of us are on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Swoboda, um, Aaron underscore Swoboda. Uh, Dave, Fredo, Scott, what are your guys' Twitter handles so people can find you? 
At Dave Glado. At Nola underscore Fredo. Uh, at Scott Colsby. So Dave and Dave and Scott and I have apparently used got our Twitter handle for business purposes to start with. And <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, cool. Well, everybody have a good week and we'll see you next week on the Hoodat Podcast. Hoodat Jedi Podcast. Hoodat Jedi Podcast, yes. Thank you.